0: Do you want to hear the greatest story? Yeah, I do. Oh my god, Bon Jovi sound checking. We gotta see this. But then we hear um the guy whistling for a microphone. Yeah. It was John, and he goes, The kids can stay. <laughs> We're like, oh cool. <laughs> nice. Thanks. Thanks, Johnny. It was a small theatre and we
1: went upstairs and there was a photo of dire straits who mm. did their very first rock blast there in 1982. Oh, wow. Which was just so cool. Yeah. So these bikeys
0: got in touch with this, give us 500 bucks so you don't get your singer back. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Welcome everyone. You are listening to the Art of Turing podcast. This is an interview style podcast where I talk with musicians, performers, and sometimes wrestlers. I am your host, the Sizz Dog. Thanks for joining me. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and happy new year. Uh, It is almost the end of uh, 2019. Uh, just a few few small days left before we ring in the new year. What's your New Year's Eve tradition? Do you go out and have a few drinks with friends or are you a muso and you're gigging? I used to do the gig on New Year's Eve. Sometimes I still do, sometimes not. Depends if one pops up. But uh, no plans for me this New Year's Eve. I'm just going to be spending it, I think, um, with the fam bam. Yeah, most definitely. Oh man, I did a bit of shopping on uh, Boxing Day, went out and got myself a coffee machine. It's awesome. I never really used to drink coffee, um, but since I started going to the gym a bit more, looking after myself, stopped eating so much junk, um, I I reintroduced coffee into my diet quite slowly. And then within about six months, I was able to... Yeah, drink a coffee. No problem. Sometimes I have two coffees. I think before, I think it was because my diet was so bad. Um, If I added caffeine or a lot of caffeine to it like that, my body would just reject it. And I I wouldn't have stomach pains or anything like that. Like it wasn't lactose or anything like that. It was more like I would get a headache. But now not so much. Now I've sorted it all out. And I have your cult every day as well. Well, whatever the you know the Costco brand is, I don't spend the heaps of coin on the <laughs> on the official you ukul- cult. I just get the dodgy one from Costco. But you know it works. It does the thing, does the enzyme thing in the guts, and then I'm able to drink a beautiful cup of coffee. And now, now I can have one whenever I want. But I have to be careful. I don't want to have too much coffee because then I'll be talking way too fast and you won't be able to hear what I'm saying. So I've only had one coffee today. I might have one more um, before I head off to the gym. Um, but I think I'll be right. Oh man. Also, I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget. I need to apologize to my guests last week, James and Lara from the Seabirds. There's a little bit of dead space in their episode. So if you listened last week, um, and you want to listen again, you can go back because I've since fixed it. I've gotten rid of that dead space. Now the episode is perfect again. So please accept my humblest apologies lara and james this week however i caught up with drummer alan murphy um alan and i had a great chat uh we got to know each other uh through sarah eda so sarah's um sarah's episode was a couple of weeks ago alan reached out to me and said hey look you know i play drums for sarah and a whole bunch of other bands which like me on the show i'm like yeah dude let's do it let's sit down and have a chat so we did Um, Keep listening to hear Alan tell some great touring stories, including how he used a snare drum as an extra storage space while he was in Europe. It is quite the corker. Art of Touring is brought to you every single Friday. You can listen to Art of Touring on iTunes, Spotify or on Google. Um, guys, tell friends about this podcast, subscribe if you haven't already to this podcast, tweet about it, make a Facebook post, um, you could uh, do an Instagram story about The Art of Touring, tag me, tag the Sizz Dog, tag this week's guest, tag your favorite guest of The Art of Touring, you know, just get the word out there before um, it's too late, all right, because we want The, uh, the Art of Touring to spread like wildfire. Uh, Now, guys, if you are listening with kids, (laughs) excuse me, if you are listening with kids, it might be a good idea to throw on some cartoons, maybe The Real Ghostbusters, if you've got the DVDs, because it's not on Netflix anymore. (laughs) And once they're dropped off at their piano lessons, throw Art of Turing back on. Now, let's take a moment to hear from this week's sponsor. Episode 88 of The Art of Touring is brought to you this week by Lobo's Collectibles in Thornbury. Lobo's is Melbourne's largest and best vintage toy store. They have something for even the most diehard collector. Uh, Star Wars, Ghostbusters, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, My Little Pony, Star Trek, Dino Riders, Wrestling, Funko Pop figures, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, The Wizard of Oz, Barbie, Jem, Lord of the Rings, pretty much every pop culture franchise is featured somewhere in this store. The list goes on and on and on. The coolest thing about Lobos is they are constantly acquiring new old stock to add to their store. So you're sure to find something different every time you visit. Let them know you heard about the store from Old Maid Sis Dog from the Art of Turing podcast. I visit Lobos most weekends and I always leave with a little something to add to the collection. Lobos Collectibles, the best toy store in the universe! Just so you know, Art of Turing is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen on your desktop, you can just Google Art of Turing and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Now, Before we hear my conversation with Alan, I'd like to share with you some of his music. This is a song called Sweetness Brings the Light by The Fiction. Check it out. There we go. That's just a taste of the fiction. And now let's sit back and breathe it in. That's right. It's Siz Dog and Alan shooting the shit. Strap in and let's get loose. It's time for the Art of Touring to begin. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to the Art of Touring podcast. I'm sitting here in Siriani Studios in glorious Epping. It's actually a very nice day today. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. And sitting across from me is drummer Alan Murphy. How are you, Alan?
1: I'm great. How are you? Thanks, Dave.
0: I'm good, man. I'm good. I uh, I just finished eating dinner and I bit my tongue. Oh, that is the worst. <laughs> so, if I have a bit of a list, list. T- t- tonight <laughs> through the podcast, listeners, you, you know why.
1: Yeah. Well, I had garlic Kiev. So, I'm like driving over going, oh, I think I should stop off and get some chewy or some mints <laughs> because like, I'm having this conversation and I yes. don't want to give off right. a
0: vibe. Yeah. Well, we are about a table length away. So, we're, we're both we're, we're in the safe zone. <laughs> yeah. It's <That's> good. It. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. There you go. Well, um, Tell me a, a little bit about yourself, Alan. Where did you grow up, and um, and where are you from?
1: Yeah, uh, Melbourne, Melbourne boy. My entire life. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, grew up in Preston. Preston. Yeah, and uh, have moved since moved to Reservoir. So I've gone really far. Yeah, so <laughs> the uh, next
0: suburb over. The
1: next suburb over. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, always been in the north, and uh, yeah, always loved that part of town. It's been great for the music. So
0: yeah, it's been really good. Um, are there any musos in your family, or?
1: No, no musos are from recollections of my parents. I had a grand grandparents played music, mm-hmm. but I never knew that and never really knew them. Okay. But growing up, there was always music around the house. My dad had a great, parents had a great vinyl collection. Oh, really? Yeah, so everything from John Lennon to ACDC, Willie Nelson- Fleetwood Mac, mm. even, you know, one hit kind of disco hits and uh, soundtracks to like Rocky Horror Picture Show. And oh, it's a so great soundtrack. kind of got a mix of uh, yeah. everything, which is cool.
0: Wow. So they were music fans. Yeah, definitely. Real music, music fans. fans. Yeah, yeah, all the time.
1: Yeah. And I'd, you know, come home from school. If dad was home earlier, I had the day off and he'd be watching, you know, music videos on VHS and
0: yeah. all that sort
1: of stuff, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, that is cool. So that was more your entryway into music. It was just, it was just around the house all the time. Yeah, it was just always on. And
1: yeah, and just being out as a kid, like always going to the community festivals and the show and things like that. One funny story that's slightly embarrassing but <laughs> entertaining that I find and like to tell people is that uh, I remember as a young kid, I must have been six or seven. Yeah, and going to the the Melbourne show and seeing the police band at the show. Yes, and then. In the next couple of days, I was going through my dad's record collection and saw a police record and oh. put it on the stereo. I was so disappointed that it wasn't this big brass band playing all these hits. <laughs> I, mean, I did not get it until a understand. few days later. No, yeah. I was like, who are these three dudes? The band I saw had like 10 people on stage and horns, and <laughs> this isn't them. And oh, I was so disappointed. Little did I know, 10 years later, when I got into the police, I'm like, oh yeah. my God, what did I miss back then? But. <laughs>
0: That is fantastic. Yeah. Because so as a kid, that's where your mind would go. You'd yeah, like, well, they're the police. That's right. They're the police band. <laughs> the police show band and is different like, to... Uh, hey, there's the police. Sing and go for it. Yeah. Let's throw on the record. Well, this isn't show tunes. That's this right. Are, where's the brass? That's right. Oh, that's
1: perfect. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. And yeah. isn't that funny? Because Sarah's um, story kind of intertwined with that because her old man was in the police band. Yeah. So I wonder if he
1: happened to hit sit in the drum stall when <laughs> I saw him that day, who knows, you never he, know. M- he might have been he there. might have
0: been, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, for context out of listeners, um, Al here plays in uh, Sarah Eder's band and if you didn't hear her episode, it was just a couple of weeks ago. Um and where she talks about her upbringing. Um, and yeah. how her father's wh- her father was in the, yeah, li- the, show, ba- the show band. <laughs> yeah. The that, show that Al's talking about. Yeah. Oh wow. That's fantastic. My memories of the Melbourne show is um pretty much of just, you know, going, getting the show bags. I remember one year they had the ten dollar show bag. Wow. And that was out of control. Yeah. Because show bags are five, six, seven bucks max. Yeah. And then one year, they're like the greatest show bag on earth. Yeah. Ten bucks. Wow. Like, mum, let's get that. Yeah. Look at all the stuff you get, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. There you go, the Melbourne show. Yeah. Um,
1: any brothers or sisters? I have a younger brother. Yeah? He's a couple of years younger. And funnily enough, he's an amazing guitarist and uh, great songwriter. But just one of those guys that never... Ventured outside of the bedroom, really. Yeah, right. Which is kind of funny because he probably took it up uh, a couple of years after I started playing drums, and Mm. I'd hear him thrash away, and you know, because I had a drum kit at home, and I'd knock on the door and go, "Hey, bro, you want to jam?" And yeah, we probably jammed. Three or four times. That was it. it. Was bizarre, but I'd hear him like wailing away, and I'm like, "Dude, you gotta hit the stage." That's still and it just wasn't something that he uh, no aspired to.
0: He just wanted to play it for himself, yeah, and just have that inst- that like m- just a solo kind of thing for himself, yeah. Wow, does he still play now? Or-
1: no, he hasn't. No. But he was a freak kind of guy too. Mm. Like I'd been playing drums for two years and think I was doing all this really cool stuff, and then he must have thought I was out somewhere and he'd sneak into my room jump on the drums and he'd be playing it and I'm like this took me two years to learn this guy's just heard it and like he's just can gifted can just do it
0: yeah no yeah and he doesn't so like so what does he do during the day now these days uh, he's gone down adult. in the field of IT he's in IT yeah and he he, he hasn't picked up the drums or, or the guitar in years no that's a shame. Yeah, especially if he's it comes so easy to him.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, he
0: let's loves stitch what he's him doing up. What's his and... What's his name? <laughs> Gary Murphy. Gary, what are you doing, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of the IT game and come join us. We need more. Well, actually, we don't need more muses in Melbourne, but who well, he knows? He's got a drummer already there. <laughs> exactly. If he wants You're one, very so... welcome, Gary, to <laughs> join know? us. Yeah, come to the dark side, mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, so there you go. And so, um, when did? Uh, when did drums, because obviously you're listening to music and you're playing the drums, but I don't think we really nailed down when the drums actually started become t- becoming a thing for you. Uh, probably is age three, to right. be honest. Like yeah. Animal
1: from the Muppets, he's mm-hmm. the dude that set the bar and just I think the fact that he was either really shite and quiet in the background or yeah. he was just wailing away on the drums and being crazy. There was no sort of – so It's always a mystery of who is – this cat he's like got a chain around his neck but then when he hits the drums obviously he's based off Keith Moon yeah so um yeah just watching him go wild and that was like that looks like fun. I'm gonna do that yeah right and so I just started at home making my own drum kits out of anything that we had I used to get thongs and turn them upside down they'd be my pedals yeah and I'd get chairs and Pillows and pots and anything that I could find in the house to make a makeshift drum kit to make a makeshift drum kit and put yeah. the cassettes on and you know things like that. It was and play along to them, play along, yeah. I mean, it was a bit hard back in the days of vinyl because you'd upset your parents if you put their really cool Akadaka record on and you're flying away and it's jumping because of the vibration.
0: <laughs> but uh, of you course. know, the kids today don't know the struggle, do they? No, not at all, not at all, gosh. Um. And so you're three years old and you just you're finding yourself you're just obsessed with this instrument. When did your parents buckle and go, Okay, uh, we'll we'll get you some drum kits, we'll, we'll we'll get you some lessons.
1: Yeah, well there was a bit of a time in between sort of that sort of happening. So I was always really interested in music and then after sort of Animal from the Muppets fancy became a thing for me, I think mm-hmm. you're the voice, whoa, was you know, attractive to a young kid, just some dude screaming. So Yeah, yeah. You know, and his drummer Angus Birchall was always an influence and then I kind of never put music aside or forgot about it but kind of sport took over for a while okay and so I loved footy in Richmond Tigers and went there with my old man and we you know did that for a lot of years and played junior footy and then Really, at the end of primary school and kind of looking at, you know, when your parents are like, oh, you know, high schools, high schools, and everyone's talking about it. Yeah. We chose one specifically that had a music program because I wanted to do drums and, Mm. you know, not really having a lot of extra cash, I guess, growing up. The parents were like, well, if you find a school that's got music lessons, bonus, you know, that can be his opportunity. Yeah,
0: into it, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so I ended up uh, going to Thornby Darabin Secondary College, Mm -hmm. and they had a, a great music program there. and. Mm. I think the first day I come home from school off the the bus or the tram and I was just walking down the street and I had a pair of drumsticks in my hand and yeah on the journey like and never really looked back since that day.
0: C7 getting lessons straight away on the drums. Yeah
1: straight away I mean for a while I played because I'm a left-handed traditionally and Mm. I played left-handed for a while but in our drum class I was about Oh, half a dozen of us. And right. So all the right-handed guys would play first. And if there was enough time at the end, I'd get my shot. Yeah. And then one day, you know, there was only one guy there. For some reason, there was a school excursion or sports or whatever. Mm. And they're like, oh, why don't you try playing right-handed? And so I did. And what I'd learned two years playing left-handed, I could do right-handed in a couple of weeks.
0: Right.
1: So I kind of flipped that around. And then I had this great drum teacher, Nick Dean. And he, right off the bat, we were, you know, it was the days of... I guess year seven, year eight, you know, he went to the parents and go, look, I want to teach Al some music that he loves, like, you know, Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine. Is it okay that, you know, there's profanity and swearing and all that sort of stuff? And that was really cool. So right off the bat, I was learning, you know, Chili Pepper
0: tunes and Rage Against the Machine and, you know, all along
1: while playing in the school bands and that sort of thing as well.
0: Oh, wicked, man. Yeah, I I remember the Chili Peppers, um, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, that was the first record I actually bought. With My own money, yeah, you know, because that was, um, you know, on TV hits, you know, yeah. under the bridge, yeah, give it away, all that, you know, suck my kiss. And uh, went, uh, m- m- mum took took us down to the, the local music store, yeah, in Eltham. And uh, I saw a copy of um, Blood Sugar, and it was the the double pack, it was Blood Sugar Sex Magic. It had been out for maybe a year or so, but I hadn't gotten onto it until then, or maybe I didn't have enough pocket money until this point, point. and they'd, they'd released a, a single called Soul to Squeeze that wasn't on Blood Sugar?
1: Yeah, Coneheads soundtrack. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Okay. From so what wh-
1: weird film, Coneheads, and interestingly enough, I think it was recorded during Blood Sugar, but mm. because John Frusciante and since left the band, if you watch the video clip, there's no guitarist. It's just Flea, Chad, and... Anthony, because they did like
0: the freak show.
1: Yeah, at the freak show, because that was based on the Conehead film, because it was all intertwined.
0: Right. With that. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's That's really cool. You've been able to fill in that gap in my memory.
1: I'm a nerd. I love all that. All that stuff. stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. And so it was a it was an accompanying um, EP. I would probably call it called Plasma Shaft. Yeah. And that's how I got that record as part of um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And it came in like a double, like, cardboard sleeve. Yeah, nice. With the two CDs kind of sitting inside it. That was the, f- the first record that I got. Um, so the Chili Peppers, man. So you're learning the chilies on the drums yeah. with um, with Mr. Dean.
1: Yeah, Mr. Dean. And he was great too. Like, he played in bands as well. And so that was really cool to have a teacher that – you know, played, you know, it was my teacher. And then on the weekends, you know, it would hook up with my parents because obviously I was way underage, so, mm. you know, and I'd speak to the pubs or whatever. And then I could go and watch my teacher up on stage as well. So that mm. was really cool and inspiring to see at a young that age. That is really
0: cool. Yeah. I've um I've had the opportunity to do something similar. There goes the, the, uh, the DeLorean <laughs> from Back to the Future. Um, I had this very similar thing um, a few times... I used to do like an acoustic gig, just Plenty Valley down here in um, South Morang. And I'm a music teacher. And so I would um, invite students that I was teaching at the time to come up and like play the guitar. Like, I'd, t- I'd bring two guitars. Nice. And so, I'd come and play guitar with me on this track, you know, at the cafe. Um, or, you know, if they were a singer, come and sing a couple of songs. And so, we'd be there on a Friday afternoon. I'd have my, my lyric book out and be like, oh, what song do you want to do at the gig on Saturday night, nice. you know? So like, really cute stuff like that. They'd yeah. bring their parents down. Or if they were 18, they'd just bring their, their mates, That you know, they'd order a milkshake or whatever. And um, I think it's a really cool thing when you're able to facilitate that as an educator, yeah. especially in the music game, because... Um, It is one of those practical subjects that if you can kind of get it out of the classroom, whenever you can do that, yeah, it's an absolute eye-opener for the student. Definitely. You know, so that's cool that you're able to do that and experience that as well. Yeah, it was great. Yeah.
1: Really big inspiration. Mm. And so, yeah, kind of the Chili Peppers. And then I think Silverchair as well was a big influence because I think being a couple of years older, Michael, if these kids can do it, so can I, you know, that kind of... Easy thing, and then I guess you know. So all through high school, just played in the high school bands, and was always that guy, you know, in the music room at lunchtime listening. I was kind of in one of a almost the gap years that all those kids in years above me were in bands, and all those kids below me were in bands, but there didn't really seem to be anyone in your I could jam group. With. So oh, I was like man. always. That kid in the music room at lunchtime, you know, kind of crossed my fingers that the drummer would be away and they go, oh, hey, how you want to step in? Yeah. And I remember like a couple of times, I must have been year nine or something and like, you know, the metal guys from year 11 and 12, their drummer, you know, not there today. And they're like, oh, how, you want to fill in? And I'm there trying to play Pantera and shit and
0: <laughs> trying <laughs> yes. to
1: act real tough and cool with the metal dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of cool.
0: Oh, Wow. So you weren't you, you you because of that. You throughout high school, you never actually got to join your form an, uh, your own band. No, not really. Outside of the ensemble program, I mean.
1: No, just kind of occasionally one-off jams and things like that. But no, yeah. nothing. It wasn't till there was no musos in your year level. No, that not really. Sucks, they were kind man. of pitted away and stuff. So
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And then so I think getting to around year twelve. Yep at school and that i think it was back in the time it might have been recovery magazine or beat magazine one of the magazines oh, that just had
0: recovery magazine yeah
1: ads and you know i just put one in there i can't even remember the bands i listed it might have been silver chair smashing pumpkins nirvana and pearl jam or something that i put sure. on there and then i got a call and ended up playing with my first band was weirdly titled it was crystal lattice mm-hmm. i don't even know what it means or what it was but it was like two girls and two guys and our first gig was at the art house and i remember it wow because it was not only was it the art house but yeah we had like 70 or 80 people there and i got up there and just played that show and i remember leaving the stage going that's it that's what i want to do Like
0: 70 or 80 people at the art house yeah i think it was wow. like a big
1: because we did a track on a compilation cd and so they launched it, and so there's you know, oh, a there's lot of a bands lot playing of we just did like four or five songs or something but yeah, it was yeah, like yeah just that really light bulb moment going man this feels crazy so mm. yeah just wanted to do that
0: so art house that would have been like the year 2000 or 1999 around that era yeah, late 90s late 90s because i remember uh, playing at the art house in my first band out of tafe yeah a um, band called the pass outs which consequently i stayed with for 10 years um, and released a single, an EP, and an album with those guys. But this was before we'd released anything. Yeah. I think we hadn't even recorded. I think I'd recorded the single, and from that, I was able to form the band. I-, I just gave the CD to a bunch of dudes I was teaching with at the time. I said, like, hey, do you want to form a band? Yeah, no worries. One of the first gigs was at the art house. Yeah, nice. And it was like a Tuesday night. Yeah. like got nobody there.
1: Yeah. You but know. you're playing
0: The Art House, man. Like, yeah. Well, at thing. least I can say I played that place because, yeah. I mean, I think it's still there, but I don't think it's called The Art House
1: anymore. No, it's like some hipster wine bar or something, you know.
0: As they all are. As they all are. <laughs> it's either that or a fucking barbershop yep. in 2019.
1: Yeah. So, they've mm-hmm. all gone that way. Yeah. And yeah. So, I think that band didn't last. I so only did about four shows, mm. but I remember- kind of leaving high school going, what do I want to do? And I knew in the back of my mind, all I wanted to do is play music. Yeah. But, you know, to kind of keep the parents happy, I thought, well, I'll go study music as well. So I kind of feel, I you know, I told them, all right, I'm going to be a music teacher. In the back of my mind, I didn't want to do that. I just want to be up on stage playing in bands. and Yeah. And so I did a couple of music courses. And through that, I kind of got a bit disillusioned with the way, I guess, music Schools ran mm-hmm. but the networking and the people that I met through that gave me so many incredible
0: opportunities. Wow, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, dude, yeah, because oh, i I went to Greensboro Tafe yeah and did two years there well, f- it took me three years because I hated it, yeah, so much, yeah, um I failed my theory class and my keyboard studies class, yeah. What am I going to do with either of those things? I'm a rock and roll singer, but I wanted that piece of paper because I'm very stubborn. Once I finish, start something, I have to finish, finish it. it yeah. So I went back and just did those two courses yeah. for one year. Where did you go?
1: Uh, I, did, I did like a part-time course at MIT back in the day. At Grinsey? Uh, I was back at Fairfield or maybe even Collingwood back then.
0: Collingwood, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was our sister school. and so school. that was
1: only like three three hours a week. Yeah. And funnily enough, I met a guy there, Mark Gardner, who plays trumpet. And we've been in contact on and off for years. And mm. last year, out of the blue, because it's one of those things where, you know, people contact you and if you're available, if I can do it, I'll do it. And last year, after like 15 years of not... Playing together or whatever, we've got a chance to play together. He goes, "Al, you're still rocking out. I see you doing heaps, and you know, I see it all on the social media. You want to come do a record?" And so, yeah, he sent me the tunes, and I did a record with him, and I've since done a couple of shows with him. Like,
0: and that connection was there from from the TAFE days. Yeah, from the TAFE days, he would kind of
1: get keep in contact every couple of years and go, "Al, you want to do this?" And I'd be too busy with other projects or yeah, just life, yeah. and yeah, the opportunity came up, and I'm like, "Man, you know, we knew each other way back when." I was a kid, mm. and so I did that for a year. And the year after, I did a course at Box Hill TAFE, mm-hmm. and that was really cool. And I enjoyed it. And again, like it was weird. I'd be rehearsing in a in a room on a drum kit using brushes, and teaching next door. Knock, you're too loud. I'm like, this is a music school in a music class. I booked the room. I'm playing with brushes, and you're telling me I'm too loud. Like it was just weirdly bizarre like that.
0: Man, that is the weirdest thing.
1: Yeah. And really off putting and kind of disheartening. Yeah. But um yeah, I met this and it was funny too, because I think there were six drummers in my year level. Yeah. But I was the only guy that owned a pair of brushes and a pair of mallets and yeah. a pair of splash sticks. And so, you know, all those guys were kind of rock dudes and I was like, I'm kinda do you know I hear the stories of drummers are always late, drummers are always too loud, drummers are always obnoxious, they drink all the right, all the usual cliches. And I thought, sure, well, yeah. I'm going to do everything that's not that Yeah. and see if that works for me. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, like that year I ended up in playing like 18 recitals or something like that for everyone just because I was willing to do whatever. I'd be there in my lunch break, you know, playing, eating a sandwich with my left hand and playing drums with... <laughs> my right hand just <laughs> wiping it up and
0: just, just into it dude yeah and yeah. then there was
1: this guy that enrolled probably halfway through the year and uh he i didn't know this at the time but he was asking around other singer songwriters you know the any drummers mm. worth checking out and apparently this guy said to him there's one guy al and i met with this guy and went down to the bank because pro before that i was primarily a rock dude and loved all the you know late 90s aussie music and the you know early 90s grunge sheen is kind of my bread and butter and mm. first love with music and mm. uh these guys were playing this kind of more mellowy moody sort of i guess now you know very nick cave and very augie march and oh, okay that kind of gig that sort of stuff yeah. and uh, those guys were called black pony express and mm. within a month i was in the band and within a couple of months we were making a record and then we are off to europe we were signed out of spain and here I was, this 19-year-old kid or whatever. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, they were all, you know, I think all about 10 years older than me as well. So, I was just oh, this young. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Wow. So, I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah, man. That's not common. No, not at all. So, it was, it was, a, it was a, did you say a Spanish record label?
1: Yeah, a Spanish record label called Pick, Bang, Bang Records. Picked them up. Yeah, picked them up. Yeah.
0: And they put and they out said, come album. over
1: here and tour. Yeah.
0: Wow. So, we
1: did that and that was pretty pretty crazy we ended up doing a couple of tours over there we did a couple of albums and mm. a live record and played meredith and oh really you got to stuff. play meredith yeah we got to play meredith oh and,
0: wow what was yeah. that experience like
1: that was incredible yeah just uh firstly just the treatment too i guess being a local melbourne user you know you used to doing all the hard yards yourself and everything yeah and, you know you drive up and you get out your car and this dude's like what are you doing i'm like oh, i'm gonna load my kit he's like no you're not we're gonna do that for you i'm like get out of town. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, you know, they set up the gear for you. We walk backstage. There's the trailer with our name on it. We go in. There's yeah. like, you know, buckets of booze and our own trailer. And I'm like, wow, this is nuts. And then just to get up there on that stage and it's larger than life. Those screens either side of the stage are, you know, bigger than a house. Yes. And you're playing away and you look over and you see your head on there and it's like- this is insane.
0: <laughs> just didn't feel real. Yeah, that's incredible, dude. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man, that's wild. Well, I do want to hear more about uh, all of that. But before we do, I want to take a moment to tell our listeners about Anytime Fitness in Epping. I recently joined the Anytime Fitness community and I love it. They give you a key fob. Uh, which gives you access, 24-hour access, not only to your home gym, but every Anytime Fitness location around the world, which means if you're planning a holiday and you don't want to ease up on your training while you're overseas or interstate, you can still find a gym wherever you are around the globe. It's perfect for the touring muso or for the wrestler as well, the touring wrestler. If you're on the road and you need to get a pump in before your next match or your next gig, you can always find an Anytime Fitness somewhere and get your training in. I love the whole concept of the 24-hour gym. And I think the best part for me, because I don't like training with headphones, Uh, is they have an app called Crowd DJ, which you can download to your smartphone and you can control the music in the gym. So if you're in the mood to play some of your favorite tracks and you've forgotten your headphones at home, or if you are like me and you don't train with headphones on, uh, you can still listen to your own playlist of music while getting your gym session done. Uh, You also have the Anytime Fitness app, which you have access to when you sign up, uh, uh, which has heaps of programs and workouts uh, to help you on your fitness journey not to mention the very friendly staff who are always happy to help so head on down to anytime fitness in epping and sign up today um and so you you went over to europe 19 you know having played in bands in melbourne but you know really just cutting your teeth in the scene and you find yourself in this um you know successful band yeah um what was that first tour over to Europe like? Like Pretty
1: uh, nuts. We did yeah. about 12 shows in 13 days. Yeah, that's a whirlwind tour. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty insane. I mean, the band itself was a whole new kettle of fish too, because I'd come from the rock scene and they were all, you know, the bands I listened to, those guys were kind of a bit snobbishly, you know, turned their noses up at as well. So I yeah. had to you know, they kind of gave me a stack of records as well and so, Well, this is the kind of, you know, your Nick Cave and your Sparkle Horse and your Leonard Cohen's and yeah, all that sort of stuff. So I had to kind of change the way I played and that as well, which was really good at the end of the day. I yeah. really yeah. you know broadened my spectrum and mm. Jim White from Dirty Three, those guys were a big influence. Yeah. As well. But yeah, it was just really nuts. Like and we'd go from playing venues the size of like the tote and selling that out. And there were people on the rafters and you'd play a show and people would like literally buy your album on vinyl and on CD and every color t-shirt you'd had and they'd want photos and autographs and they'd be queued around the block Yeah, and we'd be staying at Four Star Hotel. And then the next gig would be in front of three people and we'd be staying on the, you know, the dude that booked the show's couch. So it was like just crazy extremes. Extremes.
0: Yeah. So that Spanish record label, they were able to get your music out there in those countries, so there was some districts that really knew you and like, oh, this band, they're playing in town, let's go and check them out. Yeah. And other places, there wasn't as good distribution, so no one knew who you were.
1: Yeah, that's right. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Like we had one, I remember one guy, he like rode 10 hours on his push bike to come see us. Wow. And the way he treated us was like, man, I feel like how I would feel if I got to meet, you know, Eddie Vedder or someone like that. I was yeah, just like, the amount of fandom. I'm like, this is bizarre. And, that you know, so weird. I, you know, made sure that I gave, you know, my time and the photos and the autographs and just, you know, cause realistically without the people, you know, you're kind of nothing. They're the ones that will come and put, you know, buy your records and 100%. come to your shows. So yeah, yeah, that was crazy. So we did a couple of records and we did our second tour was a bit more extensive. We were over there for six weeks mm-hmm. and we added, cause we did Spain, France, Czech Republic, Germany, as well yeah so that was really cool and then that kind of band there were two main songwriters and they kind of had a bit of a falling out yeah and so from that i joined the singer side project which was called monty sparrow mm-hmm. and we did a record and then from that as a very incestuous scene there was another guy andrew mccubbin who was playing around town I ended up playing with him for a year or so and then uh a lady called sarah who went under the name jimmy tate i did an album with her that was kind of the same scene right as well so i just kind of and a guy called malcolm hill approached me he was friends of these guys i could kind of just get these random calls going i'm doing a record i love your work can you do it and yeah 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 and another fun thing that was really cool is we'd often play these shows where the openers would just be like acoustic duos and i'd be up there sound checking and i'd be like you want me to sit behind the kit and they're like yeah, why not? So I just like get up there, <laughs> blindly. Never met these dudes before. Yeah, trying to you know jam along to their tunes, which was wow, fun. Wow,
0: that's cool, man. Yeah, far out. Um, and so in and amongst all of these bands and tours, um, maybe moving back to that that first band. What did you call it again? What was it uh, called?
1: Black Pony Express.
0: Black Pony Express. Yeah. So when you're touring with the Black Pony Express in um in Europe, is there any stories that kind of jump out at you that like? kind of woke you up to what touring life was was all about as a 19, 20-year-old dude? Like, oh, okay, I thought it was going to be this, but it ends up, it's actually, it's more like this.
1: Uh, I think just the real extremities of it. Yeah. And just the, from, you know, one day playing a place to a couple hundred people that sold out and the next day playing to, you know, like no one, the anyone. bar staff, just really not, taking it for granted.
0: Yeah. How did how did you guys get around um the countries? Were you in a tour bus or you had to like hire a van and go around in that? Yeah, we that we you hired
1: in? a van and it was yeah. back in the days where GPS was just coming in. So
0: there's no GPS.
1: No, nah, so we went you know, we had the Melways and yeah. I remember one show or well, the Euroways. Yeah, the Euroways. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was one show that we that we did and we were just like we got lost and we ended up being like two hours late and we literally had to jump straight out of the band through the venue onto the stage and play. Oh my gosh. And because of the way, you know, you travel, like we all just had like one but like I had one suit that I wore pretty much the whole tour and yeah. my snare drum after every show I'd take the top skin off put the kick pedal in there put my socks and undies in there fit as much shit as we could to try and be as into the snare drum yeah into the snare drum (laughs) it was
0: kind of like my other suitcase that I would take around with (laughs) me So I have th- never heard that. Yeah, that is brilliant. Yeah, just you to would save take space, the skin off the snare drum yeah, after every put gig. The kick pedal. Yeah, put the kick pedal in there. You weren't worried about that. the bottom, of, the bottom skin getting all thrashed no. up from the kick pedal.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Not whatever.
0: Yeah, whatever. And, the and then just whatever, and the whatever socks. else:
1: undies, the socks, <laughs> whatever. You know, a record, some merch, whatever could fit would go in there just to save space because you know you're traveling around and everything oh costs, and we're well, lucky enough sometimes on on certain. Airlines, I could take the snare and that would be my, you know, carry-on luggage, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. And then other times you go on and for some reason I'd forgotten to put my drumsticks in my suitcase and they are sure. like, you cannot take this on plane, this weapon. I'm like, no man, I'm a drummer, It's a musician, these are my tools. And they're like, uh, you know, they'd have to call the boss over because like, this is a weapon. Yeah. These are weapons. I'm like, no, I'm a musician. So it yeah. took a bit of, Back and fro, but you know, better that than that know, was
0: when, like, you forgot to just throw them in the suitcase. Throw them in the
1: suitcase, yeah. Oh,
0: crap, But yeah. better that,
1: like, I remember our guitarist, one of our guitarists at one point, you know, he had a guitar pedal, and they were, be more sus of that, you know. It's uh, kind the of pedal. the pedal, the pedals kind of a little bit bomb <laughs> like, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. just those things you don't think of, you know, no. first time young going over there doing that stuff,
0: yeah. Well, you probably don't really want to check something like it, especially if you don't have a nice road case for your pedal board, yeah. You, you'd be worried that it, gets, it would get thrashed up, you know, yeah. Oh, so yeah, crazy. that was pretty
1: crazy. And then through Black Pony Express, because we were lucky in a sense that where we rehearsed, we used to, the way it works is we're a six-piece band. Yeah. And then the core of us, two or three of us, the two main songwriters and myself, we try and rehearse twice a week. So I'd rehearse like a Thursday night and then a Friday during the day. Mm. And then where we rehearsed Bakehouse Studios, the owner- In of, the city? Yeah, in uh, in Richmond.
0: Yeah, yeah, on Pun yeah, Road. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, on So the owner of that, Quincy, he was a muso and he played in a band called Blue Ruin. Mm-hmm. And he was putting a solo project together. And I was around and he asked me to play drums. So I played drums with him. And that's where I met bass player Adam Lerner. Mm-hmm. And with Adam and I have a special friendship, I guess bromance, a lot of people call it. We've been playing in bands off and on together for 15, 16 years now.
0: Far out.
1: So, and I've watched these kids grow up and, yeah, yeah it's been pretty amazing.
0: I love Bakehouse, man. It's such a cool space. Yeah. Um, I, uh, rehe- I I would rehearse there as as often as I, I could because um, even though, you know, living in Epping, it's still like a 40, 45 minute trip down to the city to rehearse. Yeah. But I would sacrifice that time knowing that when I got to Bakehouse, it's such a cool vibe. Yeah. You know, it's such a cool space, especially the Scrap Museum upstairs. Yeah, Even though it's expensive, if you've got a big band and yeah. everyone's willing to chip in, um, it's just a cool space to, um, to rehearse in.
1: Yeah, it's cool. I haven't been there in a while. Like, this was back in the day before all that stuff mm. even existed. Like, it was just still, I guess, pretty primitive. Mm. And yeah, it was crazy because I met Adam through playing with Quincy and we did a few shows together and mm. some recording and then – He's like, oh, Al, you know, I'm going to put this other band together. I really want you to be the drummer. Mm. And this is almost where the fiction ties in, which is kind of crazy. And he was like, you know, oh, I want you to be the drummer, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I'm going overseas with this other band. Give me a call when I get back. And he yeah. said, I'll give me a call in a month. I didn't hear nothing for six or seven months. So I just assumed. It was done. You know, like we all do with music. There's people that come and go, say things. and yeah. So out of the blue, he calls me and he's putting this band that he had when he was a kid back together called International Exiles, right. and they were renaming it. And in that band was Adam Werner and Rob Wellington, who are now both in the Fiction. And Rob Wellington was an original member of the Fiction with Rob Griffiths. So anyway, they put this International Exiles back together, renamed it The Pang, and we did a single and you know we gigged for a couple of years and. We did, uh, I think Sean Kelly from the Models might have been sung on our single as well, kind mm-hmm. of that scene as well. And then I kind of left that band and did a record and played with Seri for a couple of years as well. And then from that or playing in those bands, I met, uh, I played another band with Adam called Dear Stalker that was around for seven years. We did a couple of EPs. Wow and records and just sort of off and on. Whenever Adam would have work, he'd give me a ring. Like he yeah. just, we hit it off from day one personally, musically. And yeah. I remember at one point he rang me and goes, Al, you want to do some Rolling Stones covers for a night? And I'm like, yeah, why not? And I turn up a little, bit, I know it's some, you know, guy's birthday party and I'm um, playing with, you know, there's a guy from Rockwiz and there's another guy from some big 80s band. And, <laughs> you know, I'm just this kid in mid-20s or whatever, just kind of laughing and laughing going, this is crazy. Yeah. And then through that, back in those bands and playing with Dear Stalker was the first time I met Sarah when she was playing in bands.
0: Right. And
1: so we've known each other for about 10 years. Yeah. And then we kind of always appreciated each other's talent and said one day, you know, we'll get together and play. And then uh, Dear Stalker disbanded and I joined half a dozen other bands, a two piece called Peter Allen, which was just, you know, bass and drums. And we did just kind of noise jams, kind of Sonic Youth inspired, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. And then, Again, Adam called me and ended up playing with Bill Tolson and doing a record with him this last year. and right. so it's just it's weird how at this point, after 20 years playing drums or especially the last 15 years, how the first couple of years have come round again and full circle and the fiction were a band that started in the 70s and they I don't even think they put out a record then. they played a couple of shows, but they were quite influential in the early Melbourne punk scene. Right, right. And so they did their thing and they disbanded and the singer Rob Griffiths formed Little Murders and he's been playing with them these whole 40 years. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years ago, they decided to put the fiction back together, Rob Griffiths and Rob Wellington. They asked Adam Lerner to play bass because of mutual friend and musical collaborations through it all. And they had another drummer who runs Off the Hip Records. And they did put out an original recording from the 70s. Mm-hmm. I thought they'd get the band back together after 40 years. And I went and saw them and Ad's like, oh, Al, I need you to play drums in this band. And Opportunity came up and they gave me a call and we did a record. And yeah, it's been really fun just tapping into that vibe. And yeah, they're yeah. filming a documentary as well about the 40th anniversary. And Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's kind of strange though, because they weren't really a band for 40 years. Yeah. So it's a it's a 40th anniversary if they were still a, <laughs> if they were banned the whole time. Yeah, it's
1: like getting the band back together. But just I guess the journeys of yeah, yeah. You know, bands. I guess that reunion thing's quite big. You know, I guess everyone yeah. you know does the bands when they're kids or whatever, and then they go and do kids and life, and then go oh you know let's put the band back together and
0: sure yeah yeah. So hearing all of the, um, the interconnecting stories that you were just telling us here, um, how you were in this band and then this dude. I hope I, it makes sense. Oh, look, I mean, it's, <laughs> fries my it's, a, brain
1: sometimes it's a massive to put web, it all together, really, yeah. isn't it? You yeah. know,
0: But that's the kind of story of, of the art of touring sometimes because coming from a singer's perspective, I'm usually the one that starts the band, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very rarely um, asked to join bands, you know, because... Um, Usually, bands already have a vocalist. Yeah, you know, because most of the time, traditionally, this is a bit of a stereotype. But traditionally, usually, the, the vocalist is like the leader, or is trying the is the one trying to source the musicians. Yeah. Very rarely, bands are like looking for a singer. Yeah. You know, whereas drummers, guitarists, bass players, they're always yeah. like, "Oh man, we need a bass player. Oh, we need a we need a guitarist. We need a drummer." You know, yeah. it's never like. We need a singer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you don't. I'm the singer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I know. You know. Yeah. So listening to this, it's always very much... I think back, like, what if I did stick with just the... Well, not just the drums. But what if I just stuck... What if I, what if I stuck with the drums? Yeah. Would my story be completely different? Would I, instead of only playing in a handful of bands for the last 20 years, would I have a very similar story to you where I'm just playing in a multitude of bands? Yeah. You know, very, very interesting. Yeah. And I'm I'm always very... um. A little bit jealous too, because it's like you've got this huge experience base yeah. of all these different musicians and bands and um, you know places that you've played. Um, and playing an instrument like that, you are attractive to other musos because they're like, "Oh, well, we need we need someone to fill this job in the band." Yeah, well, call up Al; he's great. Yeah, I've been
1: very, very lucky with that. It's very cool, man. and very lucky that I've got a lot, you know, the majority of my work has just been from, you know, recommendations and Mm. generally, you know, if ever there's a downtime, you know, I've kind of always got three or four guys, probably four or five a year that will knock on my door and go, hey, Al, are you ready yet? Can we play? Like, Mm. I've just been very lucky. They obviously see enough in my talent and what I can offer and what yeah. I've got to give that you know mm. I'm kind of sought after which is really cool
0: and that is a cool thing man um, and so even I know we did kind of speak about all the bands and we kind of got to where you are now with the fiction and with Sarah um, but if we can backtrack just a little bit more before we, we talk on that um, uh, when you said that the, the Black Pony Express
1: yep.
0: broke up and it was it was like two main songwriters in the band?
1: Yeah, they just had falling out. Had a
0: falling out. Yeah. Um, but before that, when it was all rosy. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you went over to Europe twice. Yeah. Um, that second time around. Yeah. Other than the fact that, because you mentioned how like you would be playing extremes, like you know two or three people in the pub, and then the next town, you know, hundreds of people. Yeah. Um, other than that, were there any stories from the road that kind of step out in your mind that, like, you think we could get a chuckle out of? Because um, I really liked that one, how you you you, was, you, you stored everything in your, in your snare drum case. Snare drum case, yeah. <laughs> or the actual snare drum, rather. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's,
1: like, there's kind of a few stories. Like, some probably, I don't know, I guess because I was young, I was just, you know... I was that guy and I didn't go out of my way to learn the language and I was young and and immature. And I was, you know, the other guys would be older and they'd be like, oh, Al, I'll give you 10 euro if you, you know, go streak around the the, the foyer of this hotel. Oh, really? I just did dumb shit like that. (laughs) (laughs) Just playing up to the stereotypical drummer being the goofball. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So they took advantage of you a little bit. Yeah, a little bit.
1: And I was happy to do it just because I was young
0: and didn't know any
1: better and thought, who knows if I'm going to get to do this again. And, you know, I'm like, why, why not? 10 euros, sure. These people don't know, you know.
0: Who you are. Who
1: I am, where I'm from, what I'm doing. And then there was other extremes too. Like we'd play a show one night and if we were there the next town, we'd go up to a restaurant and someone who knew us and they'd – let us in and guide us to a table and give us free food and drinks and it was kind of really crazy really crazy to be you know
0: Mm. I
1: don't know just appreciated and the whole culture over there was quite different too like you'd go and Sound check in the afternoon and then yeah. you know like at six o'clock doors would close and everyone would go upstairs and there'd be a feast and it wouldn't just be the band it would be the band it would be the door person the sound person the security everyone in the whole venue would go upstairs have a feast socialize get to know each other huh. and then it'd be like yeah cool now it's time to go to work and we'd all go and do whatever we had to do whatever our role was like it was pretty amazing oh my god yeah
0: that's incredible yeah now that that's something i've never heard either yeah what country was that in
1: Oh, I'm pretty sure it was France. And, and you'd be playing at the par
0: and and yeah, you would you would all just down tools, it's dinner time. Yeah, it's dinner time.
1: <laughs> and there'd be people that prefer you know, prepared a feast for everyone and we'd go upstairs and all have a, you know, a big feed and
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And then the different culture too is that a lot of venues didn't have a lot of licensing. Yeah. So here venues have gigs five nights, if not seven nights a week. Yeah. Over there they might have six gigs a month. And oh, so, so
0: it's more of an event. Yeah, so
1: every gig there was, you know, hundreds of people and a real, you know, the whole town would come out and it would be incredible because they didn't have it as often as well.
0: That's a really good idea. Yeah. Who's in charge of that? Can we get that happening? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine how better Melbourne music scene would be if we weren't spoiled? If we could only go see music maybe once every couple of weeks at certain venues, they would be packed. Yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't have this nonsense of playing to five people on a Tuesday night. Yeah. that's Oh, gosh. That is really cool, man. Yeah. Well, um, well, let's bring it home a little bit now as well and we'll talk um on your your current stuff. So, yeah, you did say yeah. you're working with Sarah um and you're working with the fiction. You brought over a couple of treats for me here, mate. Yeah, so that
1: fiction record it was actually quite cool. We recorded it with in our uh, Rob Wellington's studio and it's uh, you know, the title of the record is Ramona, which is obviously a nod to The Ramones. Mm-hmm. And I think our longest song on there might be two and a half, if not three minutes. Yeah. So they're quick, punchy little things. But yeah, yeah, it's so much fun to play. And just with the older, you know, older bunch of guys too. We all just get together, have a laugh, have a couple of beers and rock it out. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, that's cool artwork, man. And this, this photo on the back, we've got the, the egg cartons in the, in the background. Is that the original members, but when they were a lot younger?
1: Yeah, so that's Rob and Rob from the 70s when they were teenagers.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so when you, you flip it over, you, you've, you've got this image of these guys with such heritage yep. and history together. That's wild. And so now what we're looking at out of Turing Lesson is, is um, another uh, CD, uh, 27 Winters.
1: Yeah, so 27 Winners, funnily enough, a studio called Crosstown Soundstage in Preston opened up 10 years ago, I think it was, Right, and I was lucky enough to be the first drummer that they recorded, and I've since then, I've been their most recorded drummer, I've done 12 sessions there oh, over the wow. years with different recordings. and
0: As a session drummer?
1: Oh, uh, just in bands that I've been in for Oh, I just so right? happen to be. Yeah, just yeah, so happen yeah. to be. And there's two brothers that run it, Josh and Finn, and they're lovely guys, and they've just built a really great community. And I remember one day after uh, you know, losing a couple of bands, I was just on the hunt for a band, and I saw that poster up in the studio, Drummer Wanted. Mm-hmm. I go, hey, Finn, do you know who that band is? And he's like, yeah, that's my band, man. Ah. I'm like, all oh, right, cool. So, you know, we just got together and jammed. And again, it was kind of moving away from that kind of rock stuff back into the sort of moody bluesy sort of stuff. And yeah, we cut a, a record there and mm. that's the, the fruits of the labor.
0: That's it right there. Yeah. And then uh, the final one you brought in for me um this evening is a, a CD called Bill Tolson and the learners blessed and cursed. And we've got like, it's kind of like a telecast. Well, it is a Telecaster body of a guitar, but then on the body of the instrument, We got some like traditional lion um kind of like medieval banner flag uh uh imagery
1: yeah so that's a a custom guitar that bill made himself or you know did the artwork Mm -hmm. for and that's another band where adam you know gave me the call it was one of those things where it's like uh you know come down we're gonna do a show and you know i'll see you friday and then he rings me friday afternoon going oh, uh, Al, we haven't got a drummer tonight. You want to bring some drums and have a bash? And <laughs> I did that again. And, story you know, of your life, man. Story of my life. And then, uh, yeah, we in that band for a couple of years. And yeah, we cut that record, which, you know, sounds pretty amazing and I'm pretty proud of. And since then, we've kind of only recently kind of just part a little bit, but the learners have done some recording without Bill, kind of just as a separate, yeah. separate band as well. So that's on the cards to come out next year and then also with Sarah Eder we've cut an EP as well which is you know sitting there waiting to uh come out next year hopefully and Mm. yeah again you know Adam Adam Werner and I from the fiction and Bill and that we've had a great relationship and then you know recently with Sarah Mike the bass player there I think it's just that that rhythm section that that brotherhood of sticking together and I think it does take uh you know a certain personality in a way I found bass players are you know very relaxed and chilled individuals and then you know being a rhythm section it's funny because I think you have to kind of you're kind of at the mercy of the you know the singer songwriters or the front person in a lot of ways and a lot of times you might have to you know compromise here or compromise there and so Playing the different, I guess that's why we're in so many different bands is to yeah. flex those different muscles. I mean, what's great playing with Sarah and Mike is that, you know, I've got 100% total freedom. I've never been told to, you know, play quieter or don't do those fills. It's just, we love what you do, go for it. And yeah. every show I do to the point of exhaustion, I love it.
0: That's cool, man. Yeah. Of the projects that you're currently in, um, is there one of them, because i, I traditionally played a, uh, one snippet of a band um, at the beginning of the pod to kind of let the listeners know, you know, how this person sounds, you know, um, when they're doing their thing. Yeah. Um, so from these records, which one do you think would, would suit the best and, and what song? Would it be a fiction song or a Bill Tolson song or 27 Winters track? Which one are you going to choose, mate?
1: Uh, I think I'd have to go with a the fiction. There's a yeah? track called uh, Sweetness. Sweetness, sweetness brings the light, and that was actually put out as a seven inch as well oh cool recently, and um yeah it's a it's a great song because I went into the project, you know that guys are kind of punk rockers, and you know initially I thought punk, all right, cool, loud and fast, and I got in there and like, oh, you're playing too fast and you're playing too loud for us, old oh, guys, we can't keep up <laughs> I'm like, all right cool, so you know I went back, dug out the remains records had a listen got into the groove. And then I also thought, you know, a lot of the punk bands from that era and what we're, you know, tipping our hats to, yeah, a lot of the drumming is amazing and it's great and is energetic, but I find a lot of it's kind of similar in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And so one thing I really wanted to do with the Fiction record is to kind of change it up a bit. And that yeah. really comes through on sweetness, you know. My main pattern there is doing, you know, sixteenths on the rim of the rack tom to the snare. So it's kind of a real... Uh, you know, it's a fast pumping number and awesome. Yeah, I love it.
0: Well, we heard, well, we will have heard a little bit of uh, of that track prior to this um, this interview. Great. Um, how if people want to get in contact with you, mate, on the social media, what is your your moniker? What what, what would people search for to 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 request your services on their next record?
1: Uh, so, social media, I just do Facebook. That's kind of the only thing I've got time for and just put my energy into one platform so i'm just Al on drums so Al on drums yeah a l o n drums Mm -hmm. and then uh yeah through email as well i'm old school yeah email so alanbeatsdrums at gmail.com so a l a n beats drums at gmail.com and yeah i have people contact me all the time and i'm happy to do sessions of fill-in shows for bands and you Mm. know whatever's going around if i can fit it in my schedule. I'm just happy there to yeah to play. Happy just to get that experience. I love being up there on stage, and I love what music gives me, and I love what I can give to the people.
0: Oh, that's rad, man! My talent, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, another question that I, I often throw into the mix on the art of touring, um, and this is one that I'd like to ask you specifically because you do play in so many bands. Um, it would it would be quite interesting for our listeners to learn, um, and that is what you do during the day. What is your, your day gig?
1: My day gig is uh, I'm a kindergarten teacher. Are you really? Yeah, kindergarten, and next year I'll be venturing into primary school as well. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I always kind of, at the back of my mind, you know, back way back when in my teens, I was like, yeah, I'll go to school to be a teacher to please my parents and say that well, I want to be a rock star or whatever. Mm. And then... Um, yeah kind of over the years it was just i was like that dude at functions i used to work at a supermarket and i'd be there when all the kids would be drawn to me having fun and later on it was you know hours with the drums or and so i always thought you know maybe i don't want to do music teaching maybe i'll teach little tackers and yeah get into that vibe and always love their their innocence and their honesty and their curiosity and i find myself with my curiosity my love of Life and different topics, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of similar. I can relate to kids, and yeah, yeah. I Just have a lot of fun. And so, at the age of thirty, I went back to to uni while I was working at the supermarket. I studied online, yeah, at night while I was playing in all the bands. You know, got all the balls in the air juggling life. And then this mm. year, I graduated. Oh, congratulations! Of education, yeah, thank you.
0: Wow. Yeah, and so you're doing that. Like next year is going to be your first full time gig as
1: yeah, well, this year I did uh, kindergarten teaching, and then yeah. next year I'll be doing kindergarten and primary school.
0: And primary school. Yeah. Um, so, like, CRT work kind of in the primary schools before you get an actual position? Well, or? I'll
1: be teaching prep for one day, one day a week.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I'm a high school music teacher, so it's a very different kind of game. Yeah. I've never worked in the the, um, the primary or the kindergarten, you know, sector. Yeah. So I, I don't know how it works, but... Um, that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, and just classroom too. So I'm not specifically a music teacher. Just
0: you teach the whole gamut, the whole kit and caboodle. Far out, man. Yeah, and I yeah. just love
1: it. I love to have fun with the kids, and you know, I bring my drums in as well. And it's, oh, they love you, dude. It's incredible because like, at yeah. this stage, you have a lot of kids that you know English is their second language, and mm-hmm. they have a lot of trouble. And sometimes, you know, I bring in my djembe or my kit, and these yeah. four year old kids will get on there, and I'm like that's incredible they just blow your mind because of you know their culture and their heritage and they do it already. Yeah, what they learn at home and what their parents ah, are into and yeah so it's really good you know i feel like and the way that they you know just kids in general you know like i'm not your friend and then two minutes later they're hugging and they're best mates i feel like there's <laughs> so much humanity can learn from that you know what i mean yeah like, yeah they just it just keeps you real and it's always a laugh yeah. always a laugh teaching kids
0: do you have your own kids
1: uh, at the moment, I've got two step kids. Yeah. Two step kids. So it's like having your own kids. Yeah, yeah. And they're great. And then I've got two beautiful nephews as well. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. They all, you know. Good practice. Yeah. And they <laughs> love getting on the drums too, which is cool.
0: Yeah, we yeah. have a lot of
1: fun, so. Yeah. Wow.
0: Um, well, that's that's really cool, man. And 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 that's, again, one of my favorite questions because it could be anything, you know. Yeah. I've asked that question before and people will say what they do. To earn a crust, you know, um, other than play music. Yeah. And I'm I'm always really surprised.
1: Yeah. Well it's, it's something great. I've only come to recently and I think too, like with the the stepkids and the relationships, you know, almost a year old at this point. Yeah. But finally, at the age of thirty five, I've found someone who understands and appreciates the role that music has in my life. And yeah, that's yeah. so amazing and incredible and something i haven't been able to find before
0: wow
1: so that's really amazing as well and just you know to be a music
0: nerd just takes everything to 11 (laughs) (laughs) yes 11 11 i love how you mentioned that because i was literally searching for um, images of spinal tap today on my phone and then one of the first things that comes up is you know not, is it, that's Nigel isn't it that yeah. says a Nigel Tufnall no. No. these go to 11 you know yeah. um, because uh, the podcast that you're listening to at the moment Art of Turing listeners is turning 100 um, 100 episodes next year in March. That's awesome. And we're putting on a, a 100th episode live uh, event at the Spotted Mallard. Awesome. Dude. Um, which I will plug again at the end of the pod, but I'll, I thought yeah. I'd bring it up because you, you mentioned 11. Wow. <laughs> and, um, we're, something- not yeah. we're not worthy. We're not worthy. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, hundred episodes is a, it's it's a big milestone, Definitely, you know. Man. You know, interviewing a yeah. hundred people. Well, it will be hundred people. You're number eighty-eight, yeah. Um, but it, it is. It, I've only got twelve to go after after your fine self, um, and so putting that all together, it's something like like I was saying before. I've only really played in a handful of bands, yeah. You know, um, but it, I have always had a lot of um, aspirations to play specific songs, um, and when this was this came up, I was like, you know, I could do something special. Yep, let's put on a 100th episode. I could just get, like, some of the old bands I used to play with back together again, yeah. but I've done that a few times before. I'm like, no, nah, let's do yeah. something different. So having done this pod and meeting all of these musicians, I was able to, you know, my, my, my network of musos has grown, and I thought, you know, I'm going to put together a band. Oh, dude. And I'm going to do only songs... From fake bands in movies.
1: Can I play cowbell or triangle? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, mate, you better be there, mate. I want to see some percussion. Just yeah. a, a rogue cowbell coming in on totally. one of the tracks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the songs is that uh, I've chosen this "Big Bottom" from from nice. Spinal Tap. So yeah. I was I was lo- looking for uh, some images so I can start because the promo is going to start pretty much after all the Christmas and New Year's mayhem. Because yeah. I don't want to promo it now because it will just get lost in the ether. Yeah. But once all that stuff and people, you know, back from holidays, they'll actually be able to pay attention to something that's going online. I'm talking about it on the pod, but I haven't really put it out there in the in the socials yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nigel, Tufnell. What what are the other names of the the, the made up names of that band? Spinal uh, Tap. Got I got not
1: I just know that you know drummers died in gardening accidents
0: <laughs> and uh, all
1: sorts of crazy things us drummers get up to. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And they uh, they explode.
1: They explode. <laughs> yeah, spontaneous combustion. You've got to be careful of that. Sometimes the bandmates will look over at me and they go, "Oh, you're right." I'm going, "Yeah, yeah."
0: They're just I'm a bit worried. Here. Yeah, yeah. I'm still here. I haven't exploded. no
1: Sometimes I have fallen off the chair in, you know, moments of passion and excitement sometimes. That's about it though.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh. So, um, so there you go, man. Yeah. Um, a hundred episodes of the show coming up real soon and, um, you know, I'm hoping that past uh, guests will, will be able to come and have a drink with me at the bar um on that evening in february um and of course i hope you'll find self able to make it as well yeah that'll be great congrats man that's a great achievement thanks man yeah it's really a cool, cool thing it's yeah. a very cool thing um well we'll wind it up there man it's been really great getting to know you yeah you too um and we will have heard a little bit of the fiction prior to this pod um and uh i mean before we do finish one more question's popped into my head Other than the Sarah Eder band releasing their um, record next year, are there any future releases that you want to kind of talk about before we finish up?
1: Uh, Yeah, so that EP will come out sometime next year. And I think we're going to start working on an album too, which is exciting. Uh, The Fiction are looking at recording their second record Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I've done some tracks for The Learners. We've put away four tracks at the moment. We're going to work on another batch of songs, whether that's going to be a couple of EPs or an album, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, I recorded fifteen tracks with Mark Gardner as well. Again, I'm not really sure where they're they're gonna come out, you know, in some way, shape or form. And yeah. Yeah, so that's sort of it at the moment. And nice. then just uh yeah, whatever sort of comes my way, if I'm available, I'm there. If you want the mallets or the brushes or the full on animal behind the kit, whatever <laughs> you want, I'm there.
0: So, Reach out to Al on drums, he will be there yeah. with his um snare drum full of gear. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks for joining us on the Art of touring tonight, Al. It's been great getting to know you, and we'll see you behind the kit very, very soon.
1: No worries. Thank you very much. See Cheers. you, brother.
0: Ciao. And that's a wrap, Sizzlers, episode 88, all done. Thanks for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, give the podcast a share on social media and use that hashtag, Art of Turing Podcast, on Instagram. Give us a follow at Art of Turing Podcast. And if you are a first-time listener to the show, I hope you come on back each week and keep listening I have a new guest each and every week. So you are more than welcome. To join the Art of Turing family. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with me, please email me directly. Art of Touring Podcast at gmail.com. Maybe you would like to come on the show or if you're a touring muser or a wrestler or a performer, um, or maybe you know someone who would be a good fit. Get them to reach out to the old mate Sis Dog. I'd love to have a chat. You can listen to Art of Touring on Wushka, and you can download it on iTunes. If you have enjoyed this uh, episode or any of the previous episodes, please take a moment to give the podcast a rating within the podcast uh, app on your phone. Now, there is no way. <laughs> to leave a review on Spotify. Um, I put this out there in the universe last week. My mate messaged me, said, hey, I wanted to um, rate your podcast because he said no one had done it since March, which is still true, by the way. And he tried to do it and he couldn't figure it out on Spotify. And then I tried figuring it out on Spotify and I couldn't do it either. So uh, if you have iTunes or Google, I'm pretty sure both of those have those ways to leave a review and rating system. So get on that. Now let's hear some plugs. On Saturday, the 15th of February in 2020, uh, at the Spotted Mallard in Brunswick, the Art of Touring podcast is celebrating its 100th episode. Oh my God, dudes, dudettes, I can't believe it. 100 episodes. This is episode 88 right now you're listening to. In 12 more episodes, I will have reached 100. Hundred episodes of The Art of Touring. It's a big milestone, so we're going to celebrate. Joining me on the night will be previous guests of the show... ...including live sets from The Millionaire's Club... ...Delsinki, Warbirds, Swedish Pop Factory and the debut performance by The Lip Looseners, performing songs from your favorite tracks, from fake bands from movies, including Spinal Tap, Still Crazy, Mark Wahlberg's Rockstar, and The Wedding Singer. Tickets will be available very, very soon, so keep an eye out on social media for the official gig announcement. That's all from me this week. Before I go, I have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at... Mr. Wall, spelled W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guest this week, Alan Murphy, drummer extraordinaire. Gosh, he told some stories. Be sure to follow him on all of his social profiles for his bands, including Sarah Eater, The Fiction Bill Tolson and the Learners, and also 27 Winters. Seek them out. They're all fantastic projects that Alan is involved in. That's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of The Art of Touring. With this is Diggity Dog! Remember, this week's podcast was brought to you by Lobo's Collectibles in Thornbury, the best vintage toy store in the universe, and Anytime Fitness in Epping, where, as the name suggests, you can train anytime, day or night.